Hello, Elisa. Elton Annabelle Crab here. Sadly, home from our tropical locale. Oh, but so excited. So we are just in the uh, opening stages here of the second presidential debate. We are excitedly speculating about what Trump's first move will be. We've suggested and dismissed the possibility that he might just grab Hillary Clinton on the pussy, like just as a double-down manoeuvre. I'm so glad that you said that and not yeah, me. Yeah, I know. That's because <laughs> people don't expect more of me. So Crab's very kindly brought me some rice paper rolls. She's got a noodle bowl for herself. We're just waiting for the candidates to come out. Bill Clinton's come out um, and shaken hands with Melania Trump. Um, Who's wearing a pussy bow as... Uh, Sorry, there'll be a lot of pussy in this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Let's not if back away from that. Only listen to this if you're a fan of um, Mrs. Slocum and you know, yeah. Adele Crab. This of... is going to be a pussy riot. Maybe that'll be the name of today's episode. Apologies in advance if you are not a fan of American politics, and but you yeah, are a fan of this podcast, because probably the next couple of months we are going to be unstoppable on this subject. Um, oh, I've got some real trash to talk about, though. For oh, instance, good. I've become addicted to Pokemon in the last 24 hours. Wow. I can, yeah, I know. I've got trash, too, because I read Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. There so you go. Let's, um... More low-class material coming up. <laughs> That's After right. After the break. Um, all right, we'll be back soon. Bye. We are back. That was pretty fun. <laughs> what did you think? Um, well, I, look, the moment where I just thought, okay, this is just the craziest debate I've ever seen was um, when Donald Trump said, yeah, so anyway, so if I'm uh, elected president, my first... Well, he didn't say my first, but he said my, I would uh, appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Hillary Clinton. That's pretty... Um, <laughs> I mean, I must say, I thought that was pretty much what you'd hear, expect to hear from an African despot. What? Yeah. That sort of... Yeah, there was a lot of that kind of talk, really. Like, it, it just... And, and I suppose it's a feature of this campaign, too. Like, every five seconds, you just think, is this actually happening? Like, did I that know. just happen? I know. Look, I, I thought... Overall, given what he was going into the debate with, you know, that those just absolutely disgusting. Right, marks. you expect him to like turn up with one of those face mask things, like just, in I, 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 of the Lambs. Look, I'm always amazed actually by um, people's shamelessness sometimes because I feel like if I were recorded doing something like that, I could never leave my house yeah. ever again. And yet here he is, you know, just fronting up to do Thank this. Thank God your sex tapes remain well <laughs> hidden. I have them all. Um, I thought that overall his performance actually was improved from last time. He wasn't quite really? so... I did, yeah. Huh. I thought he wasn't quite so hysterical in the delivery. I thought his tone of voice was a little bit more controlled. I thought he seemed that better prepped. The sniffing prepped. was back. The sniffing well, was back. The sniffing, I can't even... Yeah. I thought he seemed better um, prepped because he clearly had an answer for the mm. federal income tax question, mm. whether or not mm. you agreed with it, whereas last time, to me, he seemed... Like he had no prep. Yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, but I think the problem is they both played to their bases in that debate. And so yeah. if you believe in reality-based policy solutions and dignity in public office, you would have thought she won. If you don't trust her and you're sick and tired of Washington insider politics as usual, then you probably thought mm. he won. So I think that overall... For my way of thinking, that gives her the victory because he needs to persuade yeah. more people to vote yeah. for him. So that was a victory for her. But I'm just amazed that he is even still alive yeah. in this race. Look, I, I was so kind of wound up with horror, anticipation, and, oh, my God, what is going to happen here that I don't know what I thought was going to happen. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't at the end of that 
describe it as a total implosion or anything no, like that no. for, uh, of Trump, which is bizarre, really. I mean, like, obviously the 24 hours preceding the debate did constitute a kind of virtual implosion of his yeah. you know, campaign. And, you know, there's these reports going around about Mike Pence, you know, considering his position and all these reports the that he's sort of candidate. going to... Um, watch the debate and then make up his mind about whether he remains on the ticket, which is just oh bizarre, God, just like bizarre a month from polling day whether, I'm, you know, the, the vice presidential candidate is going to remain on the ticket or I not. I know, but you know what gives me pause? Like Who was that pulled out that, like, um, oh, the woman who ran for um, vice president as a Democratic candidate, Geraldine, Geraldine. Ferraro. Yeah. Ferraro? Ferraro? Yeah. Um, now, she pulled out, didn't she? But it I was, like, due to kind of uh, like health issues or mental health right. issues or something. You know, the thing that gives me pause with this is that just the fact that there have been so many examples in this election where conventional wisdom or political experience, um, historical it's experience... Been useless. ...has been yeah. absolutely useless for predicting how it would go. And because my experience is heavily, you know, inside the mm. way media and politics has been for a long time, I look at things like that tape of remarks that came out on the weekend mm. and think that is unsurvivable. No mm. candidate in history has ever survived that. How could somebody with those attitudes be president of the United States? Uh, and yet she didn't resign over the weekend. Mm. Uh, and I'd say he's come out of that debate probably still alive. Mm. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's mystifying. What, one thing that really like, freaked me out a bit about the, that um, about that debate was, you know, obviously... Like, he's an absolute double-down guy. Like, so mm. he's brought in these four um, women um, who, um, three of whom have been, you know, sexually harassed by Bill Clinton and one mm. of whom was um, a rape victim whose um, attacker was defended by Hillary Clinton back when she was an attorney. And so, like, he's kind of, he, he really is making good on his rhetoric about, you know, his response to all the allegations about all these vile remarks about women is, oh, well, these are just words from me, but, I mean, like, Bill Clinton mm. actually attacked women, you know, mm. uh, which is pretty ballsy sort of approach, right? Well, but, it, but, also mean, it also depends on whether or not you think that, like, you know, Bill Clinton's not a candidate in mm. this election, so mm. it depends how culpable you think Hillary Clinton needs to be for Bill Clinton's actions. But I guess it also speaks to that thing of... Because he's got this strong sort of line about people are sick of business as usual, you know, nothing says business as usual more than the Clintons. So I guess harking back to that stuff is just a reminder yeah. of what the Clintons used to be. Having said that, also some people probably look back to the era of the Clinton-Monica Lewinsky thing, and that would seem like the golden days of American politics. They were right. a massive surplus. There was, no, uh, there was global terrorism, but not in the same way yeah. that we understand it now. Um, so... You know, is, does that put people off her or do people even care? Yeah, mm. I don't know. I just think, um, given that, that circumstance, you know, and the tone of this sort of yucky, yucky, sort of menacing sort of um, tone to the whole encounter, mm. why is it that for, for that whole debate that they just had, Trump keeps, like, moving around behind Hillary uh, Clinton? Like, I mean, it's like he's kind of like... He's just looming the behind her. So, it looks so awful, right? Yeah. And I just, I don't understand why you would do that. Like, he did it so often that it, you have to assume that it's um, intentional. But, jeez, it's a look, terrible look. I don't look, know. Look, I, I initially 
initially in the first answer so she has a lot more experience doing this type of thing mm. than he does right and her husband was a master at mm. this and so presumably he's coached her. he he basically turned around the primaries race in mm. 1992 through the force of his ability in these types of encounters um so she understands you want to be warm and personable. Mm. She, you could see her, someone would ask, she'd walk right over to the corner yeah. of the stage where that person was. When he started off, he was basically remaining on spot and pacing sort of mm. slightly away from where he was and then he would return to his chair. So he sort of stayed within this limited area that he paced a little bit like a caged animal. And then if she happened to come into, into his territory, he would then just lurk behind her, which looked awful, but I wondered if he were doing it because he'd been counselled perhaps by his team to not leave the yeah. spot. I wondered if he'd been counselled to try to not seem intimidating or aggressive in his body language, which, yeah, right. but, but the nature of it, because he was then behind her, it did look yeah. intimidating <laughs> and aggressive, but maybe he was thinking, oh, I'm going to stand behind her, not in front of her or something. I, I don't know. That'd be cool for him. Oh, yeah, God. I love the moment where they were asked, um, can you say something nice about each other? I know! <laughs> it was a great way of ending that debate, actually. And she said, well, look, you know, um, I like his children. Because, like, <laughs> um, because isn't Chelsea Clinton quite good friends with Ivanka Trump? She is, apparently. Mm. And the children were probably raised mostly by um, wolves. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say, um, what was his first name? Ivanka oh, Trump yeah. and Marla, Marla, whatever her name Maples. was, Marla Trump. Marla Maples. Yeah. Um, and then he said of Hillary that, you know, she's a fighter, which I, yeah. I think Hillary probably would have been very happy with yeah. his answer, yeah. you know. So, well, yeah. anyway, Good very God. interesting. So there's one more debate to go. Um, anyway, I think I think actually events outside the debates are going to be what decides this election. Yeah. I don't think we're getting a Richard Nixon sweating his way out of yeah. detention style yeah. moment in this race. Now, um, while we were uh, doing that debate, I, I was a little distracted because crap appeared to be photographing me and I asked her what she was doing and she said she was getting a shot of a Pokemon There was a Pokemon on, on desk. your desk and I, I have to say I've now become that person. I, I signed up for a Pokemon Go, you know, account. Is one of the kids into it? They are now. <laughs> well, do you know, I just, it was a nice day and I thought, I want to go for a walk and I thought I might download that app and see, you know, I just like um, one of my daughter's school friends was sort of into it, and um, I thought, well, let's let's go on uh, a motivated walk. <laughs> a motivated so, walk, yeah. And it was really interesting because the thing that I hadn't really uh, so for, for, I, you don't have this app, right? Do you? No. But so it's like a map. It's it, it's it works off your maps and also your camera and your phone, and so you open up the app and there's this sort of you're walking along and you've got this little avatar and as you walk along you pass these things called pokey stops where you can sort of download these red balls and then every now and again you'll run into a Pokemon which is like a, a little animated cartoon character that you look through the, your screen of your phone and there it is kind of like jumping around and going <laughs> so when I was photographing you there was a kind of like a flappy blue bat thing <laughs> sitting on your head so which I will show you um, and then you, you use the red balls that you've downloaded, you know, to throw at the creature. Right. And that will, if you hit it, then, you know, it, it, it's, you've caught it. Right. You know. And you get some points or something, do you? Well, then it's in your little creature arsenal. Look, right. more than that, I do not understand. So, like, there, is, there are many, many layers of Pokemon excellence, and there are people like... Um, my producer, Madeline Hawcroft, was saying that um, <laughs> she, found, she finds the whole thing a little bit, you know, kind of... Weird, but 
sort of survivable, except for she was at the um, uh, Sydney Opera House and um, saw this like large group of people bolting up towards like marketplace or something because one thing that does happen is sometimes like a rare Pokemon oh, will yeah. just appear somewhere but only be there for ten minutes. Oh, okay. And so, so you've, you've got, got a... a really short amount of time to get. There. So. <laughs> Apparently, like that circular key area is just like infested with Pokemons because there's lots of tourists going there. Oh yeah, and right. so you know what can be just a sort of gentle outing can look to the external observer like a terrorist <laughs> event that's being fled from by this like large motorway of people. Anyway, so there you go. Um, I was in a court building the other day for some story, and there was a sign that said. Um, you know, <laughs> didn't quite say these words, but the sort of tone of it was, for the love of God, do not come into this court precinct right. chasing Pokemon. Well, that's because they're everywhere. And they, I mean, look, there was one in your office a minute ago. Um, and There's probably also, some in the studio if you'd like to come while 7.30 well, on Well, there's a pokey stop that's actually inside the ABC building. Like the ABC News 24 studio is a pokey stop. Right. And I don't know if they change every day or whatever. But anyway, um, the thing that I will defend about this app... Um, and I am, you know, I disapprove of all, you know, online games and stuff like that. And my children do play them, but I'm, I shout at them because of it. You know, I, I try to, I try to discourage it. Um, but the thing that's good about this is that a, you're doing it outside, so like it, kids are on it, they're kind of yeah, exploring. Getting it's a yeah. bit like orienteering. Oh yeah. And the other thing is that all of the pokey stops and things like that, they're in sort of. Um, points of interest. So it's not like, you know, 86 Mitchell Road, blah, blah, blah. It's like a, a sculpture, a piece of public art. Oh, yeah. Or okay. like an old um, plaque for an old building or, you know. Or my head. Or your, your head, for instance. <laughs> um, so what I found after a, a day of, like, instant addiction to this thing and running around the area with various children is, that you you know, you see um, pictures of something, like, nearby. or say, there's a pookie stop at the blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's nowhere near my house. I don't recognise that sculpture or whatever and then you go oh actually it's two streets away and right. so you find things about your own neighbourhood that you didn't know about before that, one of our friends wrote it Julia Baird wrote a column about this oh, and yes. about how it helped her to bond with her son and how he was so thrilled that she was interested in yeah. this and got engaged with it and it, it did make me think about how it's a good thing with stuff because I often think things like oh god I really my children aren't into heavily into like swimming or sport or something that I really hate that I then have to get into. Yeah. But then I thought, no, that would be a good thing. And it was, and if they're interested in that, then I just have to become interested in it yeah. so that that is a point of connection. My like, children are into musical theatre. I can just, <laughs> I can just tell. My children are into you. Every time they see you, they just go completely bat. You know what? Crazy. They, they sort of are scream. Excellent children. <laughs> they scream. Animal crab. <laughs> That even happened at the Sydney Writers Festival when there was a poster of you and one of the, in a very crowded area, one of them was just jumping up and down wildly, just going, Mum, it's Annabelle Graham! It's Annabelle Graham! Like as if they don't see you nonstop. I don't know if it's their upbringing or just their innate excellence, but I do find that they have marvellous taste. <laughs> They're so funny. Hey, now last time when we were on holidays, I was about to start reading The Girl on the Train oh, yes, by Paula so Hawkins, yeah, mm. and, which I noticed actually has just come out as a film, by the right, way. Right, yeah. Um, I really did not like that book, even though it's sort of, you know, the holiday read du jour, or yep. it was probably two years ago. Yep. I thought the main character was just an absolute psycho, and She's I couldn't not massively stand appealing, her. Is she? <laughs> I couldn't stand her. So I 
Have we talked about it already on the podcast? I can't remember. I think I may have just mentioned I was reading it, but yeah. Yes, coaches' uh, presence Give in the a show. Quick summary for and he's sort of quite coachy as well. He is okay. very coachy. So it's set in Florida yeah. um, in this sort of wealthy Floridian family who, um, I love to say Floridian, <laughs> um, who, uh, who own a, a resort. Yeah. And so there's um, the mother and the father. The mother played so spectacularly by Sissy Spacek, Fantastic. a woman whose name I could say every minute for the rest of my life and die happy. I like Sam um, Shepard as well as the dad. I thought he was great. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they um, they have four children, um, uh, the eldest of whom is um, played by Ben Mendelsohn in the most spectacular performance. Absolutely like he's fantastic. just gripping. Yeah. And... So he's the sort of ne'er-do-well elder brother and the, the series opens with him kind of on a Greyhound bus returning to this compound resort. All the other kids work on the resort, um, including Coach, who's kind of like the... He's the town policeman, isn't he? Oh, no, sorry, he's yeah. a cop, that's yeah. right. Um, but the, the daughter, Meg, is a lawyer who works, you know, for, on the, the for the resort and then there's a son, Kevin, who's a bit of a he's live like a fisherman wire. fisherman. Yeah, of, right. Yeah. So they're all local except for Ben Mendelsohn, who's sort of he's a black down sheep. on his luck. He's kind of like, he's a bit rattled, he's smoking all the time, and he's generally in poor odour with the rest of the family. And he's come back and he kind of announces that he'd like to stay. And so what happens then is that um, you start to learn more about the tensions in the family and there's this sort of terrible incident that happened years ago and you start to get glimpses of what that might have been. He's sort of a bit mixed up with criminals and um, the story is about his sort of re-entry into the family and, you know. So it's one of those ones where you get a bit more of a glimpse as it goes on as to like the complications of the past and it's like incredibly gripping. But he is very, very mesmerising in this He character. absolutely is. Um, and he, I reckon he has the most intriguing quality in this show which is Ben Mendelsohn, he has quite, physically has quite a weak chin. Mm. And so he can look very sort of weak and a bit snivelling and a bit mm. sort of downtrodden and, and, yeah, just weak. But he can flip it like instantly to just look really, really menacing yeah. and dangerous. Yeah. And so he, he sort of veers between these two qualities the whole time. So he seems like a really dangerous. So there's this feeling of danger, which is only enhanced because... The structure of it is very creative and, and hard to do. And it's actually, if you happen to watch a series called Damages, it's written by the same people, which is right. the flash forward, yes, where you're seeing yeah. all the time how things end up, yeah. which is really bad. Yeah. And then you're thinking, sheesh, how does it get to that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you sort of, that's what pulls you along. But There's yes. a bit of that in Breaking Bad too, you know, like... Yeah, there was actually, yeah, yeah. in the last season, wasn't yeah. there, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of um, uh, things that make no sense and then they yep. start in the back of your brain to start ringing a few bells as you it's get really further clever, into the It's really clever, isn't it? It's hard that? to do. Really Because the, the story itself, you know, in this case is sort of like the premise is simple, you know, um, wealthy family, black sheep, stress tension. Mm. But the fact that it weaves in, you know, this terrible thing that happened in the past and then somehow... You've also got the grim realization that 
they do something terrible to him yeah. in the future and what you're doing is kind of travelling between, between these two terrible and, events. And actually, if the story were just called Troll, like let's say the event that happened in their past when they were children, let's say you just had the flashbacks to that and the rest of the story was told chronologically, mm. I reckon the stakes would be less high. It's mm. actually more compelling knowing how badly it ends right, right at the start. Yeah. Um, it's like yeah. that... Um, you know, one book that I still really love, even though you know apparently it's not fashionable to love it anymore. Um, the Secret History by Donna Tartt. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. Um, um, remember when they did the book club? Um, I don't know, a couple of years back, and they did. Um, they got the audience, viewing audience of the first Tuesday book club to vote on what their top ten books of all time were, and it was so great because all of the book experts on the book show. Um, just hated all of the books that everybody <laughs> voted for. And I think Donna Tart was like about number four. I was seriously at home with a glass of wine watching it. Going, Hooray! Every time, like, seriously, it was won by um, The Thornbirds. Oh, <laughs> I've never read The Thornbirds. Oh, I read bits of it on the back of a school bus. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's a bit it's, racy. It's rude. I just had some deja vu there. I think um, we discussed that before. But, uh, you know, the experts were, you know, united that, actually um, uh, The Secret History was incredibly annoying and, you know, not a work of literary weight at all. Oh, well, well, screw you. I loved it. Exactly. Anyway, um, but that starts too with this, um, you know, a group of people who have killed their friend. You know, oh, okay, right. And the book is really about finding out how they got to this point. Right. Mm. Yeah, I like that device. It's good. Mm. Um, we're nearly out of time because I've got to do an interview for 7.30 in oh, 26 minutes. <laughs> uh, it's not Leonardo DiCaprio or anyone exciting. Um, the other thing is I did a road trip on the weekend and so I've been listening to a podcast that a friend of mine recommended. It's yeah. called Team Effort with Ed Cavalli. If you're a fan of um, Tony Martin, of Martin Malloy, right. yep. He had a radio show that I loved called Get This. Yeah, how could you not be a fan of Tony Martin? Um, He is one of the guests on um, this show, and it uses a lot of the same people that used to appear on Get This, including Ed Cavalli, who hosted Get This. So um, it's it's Ash Williams, Ed Cavalli, Tony Martin, um, Lawrence Mooney, Santo Chilaro was in the last one that I listened to. Um, It's just a shambolic conversation, but they are all very funny guys. What's it called? Team effort. Right. If you if you just search team effort in your podcast, so it's just it's one of those things that you just find yourself snickering along to, and you know it's just it, it, it is what it is. But I've found it pretty light, enjoyable listening. Good for travelling when you're not um, whacking Pokemon. Well, um, I listened to it actually on the plane when we went away recently because. Um, you know, you need to have an eye on both children and the ability to, like, yeah. reach out a hand, yeah. so you can't really be, like, writing or trying yeah. to read. But you can be listening to something and yet maintaining yeah. hypervigilance at all times. Yep. So we also listen to it in that context. Um, I've been listening to heaps of podcasts, mm-hmm. um, not all of which I will go into um, in sort of languorous detail now because <laughs> your body language is telling me, would you please shut up? Um, but I will mention um, I'm completely every week stuck on Slate's political gab fest. Oh, yeah, I'm hooked on um, that too. But... Yeah. Um, I've been listening also to Trumpcast, oh, yeah. which is What's a that? panoply, um, it's another slate um, uh, from the slate sort of stable, um, but it's Jacob Weisberg um, who talks yeah. to people about the um, uh, campaign and it's specifically about Trump. And one of the great aspects of it is that at some point during the podcast, about 20 minutes or so, um, they've got an actor 
reading out real-life Trump tweets in Trump's voice. And it's just there's something so mesmerising about it because then they'll go back to talking to, you know, some expert. Or, like, so the most recent one um, on Saturday um, is Weisberg talking to John Ronson, which I know that you oh, um, yeah, enjoy. Okay. Um, so, um, and oh, my gosh, Ronson's written a Kindle single called The Elephant in the Room, A Journey into the Trump Campaign. Oh, my God. Get that one. Wow. Read for I next time's podcast. Okay. Right. There's some reading material. Um, let's just finish also with while we're talking about um, people reading at Trump's things in Trump's voice. I mean, just go and Google search Trump Saturday Night Live if you haven't oh. seen Alec Baldwin. <laughs> How good was it? it? Look, there is this now brand of satire that is the anti-satire where you're mm. just reproducing something that is already too ridiculous yep. to be um, further... Um, mocked or ridiculed. Um, you know how um, uh, I've been listening a bit to that new Malcolm Gladwell mm -hmm. um, podcast, which is called Revisionist History. History. Yeah. He's got a really interesting episode called, uh, it's called like The Death of Satire or something like that. It's not called The Death, it's something like that. It's got satire in the title. And in it, he says um, that while he's a massive um, fan of Tina Fey's, he thinks that her... Um, portrayal of Sarah Palin was um, uh, counterproductive. So he's got this whole mm. critique of, um, of the way satire and news work. Um, anyway, it, it's a, it's oh, a really... That sounds it's, really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of quite a fascinating episode. And I wonder, you know, what his view would be of the, this whole Alec Baldwin... Um, See, I think sometimes that ridicule is an underutilised weapon in yeah. political... Um, Debate because you, you hear a lot of stuff that's worthy of ridicule. I, I'm not game myself in interviews to ever ridicule somebody because I just think it's it's bold to ridicule somebody. And because and you are so innately risible yourself, that <laughs> yeah, would be a it'd exactly. be a bold. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes people do say things that are worthy of ridicule though, and I just think there's nothing that it makes you seem more silly and more exposes your idiocy mm. than being made an object of ridicule. And so Gladwell's point was really more about I think about how. Um, in his view, um, and I think I'm summarising his point, um, in his view he thought that um, Tina Fey's portrayal of Sarah Palin quickly became about Tina Fey and that it became this sort of performance piece that actually left Palin more or less unmolested. Oh, and that, right. you know, and then Palin would turn up on um, on the show and it would just oh, become right. this kind Made of like celebrity fest and, rather right. than um, any mm. sort of inviting any further um, analysis or awareness of, of what her, her views were or, or whatever. So it, his, his argument was that this whole pattern didn't really challenge um, Pale in any way. Now I think, uh, just to end, um, at this point it looks like we can rule out Mike Pence resigning as Trump's running mate because he's put out a tweet right now to say congrats to my running mate Donald Trump on a big debate win. Proud to stand with you. Wow, okay. <laughs> so he's, he's gone in boots Tomorrow we'll be like, I was hacked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Don't forget to go to the what? Website, www.chat10looks3.com.au and you can leave a review on iTunes if you like us. And thanks to Brenda for looking after our website. Ha, ha, ha.